your boundaries never have to be justified. They never have to be rational to anyone other than you. Your boundaries are not up for debate ever. Did anyone ever tell you that you and only you own your body, that you get to choose how to enjoy it, explore it and share it with others? Did anyone teach you how to sit in the uncertainty and the discomfort of stating a boundary without wavering or justifying yourself? Setting boundaries can be endlessly challenging. And a big part of why is because setting a boundary is to take up space. It's to prioritize yourself and to risk the discomfort that can come with people's feelings about our boundaries. But you deserve to be heard and honored, respected and supported. And that's why I created a new online workshop called Take Up Space, a workshop on boundaries, self-worth and strengthening your relationship with self. If you could use help with boundaries, exploring some of the stories that you have around them, and also learning new techniques for communicating them, I have an online on-demand workshop that has 10 video lessons with matching worksheets full of self-reflective prompts. It includes three bonuses, which is an hour-long interview with boundary expert Christiane Storm, a 90-minute community call I did all about boundaries, plus free access to my Relationship Charter workbook that helps you to start talking through some relationship boundaries. So if you're interested in signing up for Take Up Space, just click on the link in the show notes and grab your spot today. You're listening to You're listening to You're listening to You're listening to Sex Gets Real. Sex gets real. Sex gets real. Sex gets real with, with Don Sarah. With Don Sarah. Thanks. Bye. Hey listeners, welcome to this week's episode of Sex Gets Real. I am spending two weeks on Vancouver Island doing some writing and some work and just a little bit of getaway, which is why this interview sounds a little bit different than others, because I am in a different location and making do with the little cottage that I am in the best that I can. My conversation this week is with sex educator Nadine Thornhill. Nadine has been on the show before. She's one of my favorite people. She specializes in teaching parents on how to deal with sex education and sexuality in young kids and also specializes in sex education for younger kids. And she is taking on the Ontario Canadian government because their new elected official, Doug Ford, is kind of like Trump light. And one of his campaign promises is to actually remove the comprehensive sex education program that was established in 2015. So Nadine is doing some really cool stuff and we're going to talk all about not only what she's doing, but sex education that's age appropriate for first graders, second graders, talking about gender with third graders, and a whole bunch of other fun stuff, plus a listener question that I am in love with. So I'll tell you more about Nadine in just a minute. If you want to sign up for my boundaries workshop, it is now live. You can get the link for that either by heading to sexgetsreal.com slash EP217 for episode 217, or by clicking on the link in the show notes. I also got an email from Cooper Beckett because their desire takeover is coming soon and they want your help. So every year, Life on the Swing Set, 
hosts a full takeover of the greatest place on earth, Desire Resort Riviera Maya in Cancun, Mexico. Desire is an all-inclusive resort boasting a beautiful beach, pool, hot tub, four excellent restaurants, three full bars, and most importantly, space to be yourself. Their takeover is the most inclusive and geeky trip that Desire sees all year with theme nights, educational events, and entertainment for straight couples, as well as every letter and the LGBTQIA rainbow. They have live nude karaoke, foam parties, dungeon disco, BDSM nights, live podcasting, demos of pegging, fisting, flogging, speed dating, wine and beer tasting, costume theme nights, orgies, gangbangs. Truly the sex positive vacation of a lifetime, says Tristan Terramino. So if you're interested in joining Cooper Beckett and the Life on the Swing Set crew for SS Desire, you can go to ssdesire.com. I promised Cooper I would talk about it on the show because they do amazing things. And if you're looking for a super sexy vacation, that might be where you want to head. Patreon supporters, if you support at $3 and above for Sex Gets Real, which really, really, really does help me so much. This week's bonus, I am talking about an incredible piece that was in Bloomberg, all about orgasmic meditation and one taste. You heard my interview with Bridget Phetasy last year about the article that she did for Playboy, which has since been removed because one taste is so litigious. Um, but this Bloomberg piece is an incredible expose on some of the massive abuses that they have committed. So I'm going to be talking a little bit about that and including a link to it so you can check it out and sharing my thoughts. And I'm also going to be reading a piece of erotica. So if you support $3 and above every single week, you get all kinds of bonus content, which is um, me sharing thoughts about something, answering listener questions, extended interviews with guests, me reading erotica, and oh gosh, free access to paid stuff, just like all kinds of good stuff. So you can go to patreon.com slash sex gets real. You actually have to type the URL in. Patreon won't let you search for me because I'm adult content. And everything that you throw my way helps so, so, so much. So let me tell you a little bit about Nadine, and then I will share our interview, which is our super fun chat. I love Nadine. Oh my God. So Nadine Thornhill has been helping families and educators talk to kids about sex for over a decade. She has a doctor of education in child and adolescent sexuality and is a member of the Sexuality and Information Council of Canada. When she's not working, Nadine enjoys adventures in the city with her husband and son, off-key crooning at karaoke, eating great food, and watching reality television. So here is my conversation with Nadine Thornhill. Welcome back to Sex Gets Real, Nadine. I am so excited to talk to you today in this very last-minute conversation that we decided to have. So hello. Hello. Thank you for having me at the very last minute. Yeah, you're so welcome. So I had to invite you to come on because you're doing this really rad thing uh, that is in response to a recent election that happened in Ontario, Canada. And you, well, I think the exciting thing is you've already surpassed your fundraising goal, but for people who are listening to this, when the episode drops, there's plenty of time to still support this. So can you tell us a little bit about like what's going on and why you decided to just like birth this project? Yes. 
Okay, so I'm going to try and summarize this as, as briefly as I can. But just uh, for some history for uh, your listeners who are not in Ontario, in 2015, the uh, Ministry of Education here introduced an updated health and physical education curriculum. It was uh, the first update we had had in, uh, I believe at that point it was 17 years. And included in this curriculum was an updated sex education program. And so the previous program, you know, predated social media. Um, You know, there was nothing about consent. There was very little about um, sexual orientation, nothing about gender identity. Um, Not to mention just, you know, a lot of information has changed and is more current. So this was wonderful that we had this, you know, new comprehensive fact-based sex education program. And so, you know, it's been in place for three years now. And recently, like very recently this month, we had a provincial election and the party that was elected into power was the Progressive Conservative Party. So they are sort of the, for your non-Canadian listeners, they're like the Republicans of Canada. Mm -hmm. And uh, their leader, our new premier designate, is a man named Doug Ford. And he's um, sort of Trump-like to give people a frame of reference. And one of his <laughs> campaign promises was that he was going to repeal this quote-unquote sex ed curriculum. That's what he kept calling it. And, you know, he was quite adamant that he was going to do this. The fact that he kept calling it a sex ed curriculum uh, right away told me that he doesn't really know what he's talking about, but he is pandering to a you know certain component of his base that you know either think that this sex ed curriculum is horrible and are you know woefully misinformed about what the curriculum entails or they just don't like some of what it what it contains Mm -hmm. and 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 so he was elected um you know unequivocally and will be the leader of our province and you know as, as recently you know as I believe it was less than two weeks ago, you know, made a gave a press conference where he reiterated his promise to repeal this this curriculum. And so, you know, my wheels have been spinning for a while now, for a few weeks. And I've been thinking, you know, what can I do? What can I do? Because this this is my work. This is sort of my my life's work. I believe very passionately in, you know, comprehensive sex education for youth, you know, throughout you know, throughout their childhood and adolescence. And I was so happy when we finally had this in place in schools. I don't want to see it taken away. Um, And I didn't know what I didn't know what to do, because I thought, you know, protest is important. And, you know, resistance is important, you know, writing letters, making your voice heard. But I also know, um, based on Doug Ford's history, that he is not the kind of leader who is responsive to his populace. He's just not. Um, he's the kind of leader who's going to do what he wants to do. And so then it, it, it just sort of came to me in a flash. I thought, wait, well, it's like, I know this curriculum, or I don't know the full curriculum, but I know the sex ed components of the curriculum really, really well. I know how to teach this sort of material. This is what I do. And I have a YouTube channel. So I thought, hey, now I can just teach this curriculum. I can put it on my channel and then at least it's there. Mm-hmm. And if people want it, they can still access it in some way, no matter what happens, you know, in terms of schools, like the information will still be there. And, 
you know, people can watch and sort of, you know, get ideas about how to have the conversations at home or how to have the conversations in classrooms or community groups or wherever it's happening. And so I had that idea and then, uh, that was about 10 days ago. And then I started furiously making notes and making plans and just being like, okay, this is happening. It's like, I'm going to need about three grand and I don't have three grand right now to spend on a project that I wasn't planning. Yeah. And so I started a GoFundMe campaign. Um, and, you know, I announced it yesterday around 10 a.m. And when I went to bed last night, I was a little more than halfway to my goal, which already blew me away. Um, woke up this morning and was within a few hundred dollars of my goal. And then today, um, interestingly enough, this morning I got up and wasn't really paying attention to the campaign because my son was running a Spartan race. And so we had to drive way out into the country and get him ready. And he was racing. And right as right before he crossed the finish line, my partner happened to look at the campaign on his phone and was like, hey, you just you just met your goal. That's and awesome. So, yeah, it was it was kind of a nice moment of celebration because it felt like, you know, I won at the same time as my son, you know, yeah. crossed his finish line. <laughs> we were a little more excited for him, I have well, to yeah. say. <laughs> so comprehensive sex ed is something that is um, rare in the United States and is because about to become more rare in Canada. Thanks, Doug Ward. I think one of the things that's so fascinating about this curriculum is that it's for grades like one through 12, basically. And uh, I know you said that the curriculum includes consent, which is crucial. What are some of the fears and or complaints that people have around the curriculum? Like, do they hate that it's inclusive or is it that it starts at such a young age? Um, What are people scared of that you've seen? So one of the things that a lot of people I've spoken to are scared about is that they are conflating different parts of the curriculum. So when they hear, for example, that the curriculum starts at grade one um, and that there are also components of the sex ed program that talk about, um, you know, safer sex and that that discussion includes, um, you know, talking about anal sex and oral sex and, you know, how to reduce your risk of STIs, they conflate those two things. And what they hear is in grade one, you're going to be talking to first graders about anal sex. (laughs) That's not a thing that is happening at all. Um, You know, the safer sex components do not come in until grades um, seven and eight and above. What we're talking about in the first grade literally is naming all the parts of the body, mm-hmm. including genitals. That's it. You know, in grade two, we're talking about the fact that bodies change mm-hmm. as we age. Mm-hmm. That's yes. it. Which is such a, a beautiful thing. You know, I mean, just before we hopped on, you and I were talking about how, like, we can't wait to teach consent and all of these other things like gender identity until someone's an adult. It just sets us all up for the failure that we're experiencing now at such a mass scale. And to be able to have really young kids who can not only name body parts, but who feel comfortable talking about like boundaries and it's not okay to touch me and, um, are aware that other people have boundaries and to just kind of be able to like literally grow up with that dialogue is such a, such an important thing. Absolutely. And it's interesting because 
I will often have people come to me and say, oh, but it's going to be so confusing for them. Like this is such a complex issue. Um, I hear it a lot around consent and gender. And what I will often say to them is, we have to consider that one of the reasons that we often find these things confusing, even as adults, is because when we were children, we were taught something different and we were taught these things as being axiomatic, particularly around gender. You know, I know that I grew up learning that there were boys and girls, men and women. All the boys had the same body parts and all the girls had the same body parts. Mm -hmm. And that was it. And it was a thing that I could take for granted. So, yes, I believe the first time I ever, you know, it ever, I ever realized that there was anything different was when I saw the crying game when I was mm -hmm. 17 or 18. Um, and I remember like this very audible reaction in the audience when we discovered that this woman had a penis. Um, but had I grown up just knowing that, hey, people of different, like people of the same gender can actually have different body parts, you know, in the same way that I know that people of different genders can have different color hair, or, you know, sometimes some people have just one leg, or, you know, some people are tall and some people are short. If, you know, sexual organs were just another thing that, hey, they're different on different people, I wouldn't be so, it wouldn't have been so confusing and shocking as an adult. Mm -hmm. It would just, and, and it's interesting because I see it with my son and kids his age who are growing up with more exposure to, you know, gender diversity, where for them, it's not as confusing. Um, you know, they're very comfortable oftentimes talking about, you know, people with, you know, trans identities or people who are gender expansive. And no, they don't know every nuance of it, but they're not, you know, they're not falling down in shock on the playground being like, oh my God, yes, my concept of the world has been shattered. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think that's such an important point because I think sometimes it feels like a big deal because it's something that we as adults are still trying to figure out and understand. But when it's something that you've literally just grown up with, where the language was normalized, the adults around you use the language, you use the language. So when the people around you use that language and identify a certain way, it's not a big deal. It's not shocking or weird or confusing. It's just part of life and part of all the things that you've been learning, like how to use a fork and a spoon and, and how to use someone's pronouns. And I mean, you know, it's, it's, I think it's really fascinating when adults kind of take their, their lens of like fear and scarcity and shame, and then put that onto young people and assume they're going to have the same experience, but in these young bodies that, you know, can't process these bigger emotions in the same way. And, and it's like, it's a totally completely different experience. It's a different experience. And um, it's interesting, something that uh, I have recently become fascinated by neurobiology, even though I have no science background. So <laughs> I'm struggling through these, you know, just really jargon laid texts and highlighting words and looking them up on Google. But something that I've learned recently is that um, our brains just don't like don't like information that we don't immediately understand. It makes us anxious. Mm -hmm. And when we feel anxious, what our brains do is we look for reasons to justify our anxiety. And so, yeah, when we're confronted with something like, hey, 
gender diversity and gender spectrum. And in fact, you know, gender, you know, exists along this sort of infinite spectrum and people experience it in all different ways. And it's actually not necessarily this easily categorized identity. It makes a lot of us anxious. Yeah. And then what we decide is, oh, well, I must be anxious for a reason. So this must not be okay. Instead of recognizing, I just feel anxious because this is new or because I don't know everything. And and there's it's nothing beyond that and that's okay and so then we decide like huh this is gonna make my kid feel the same way but as you said (laughs) when you grow up with it you also have the luxury of time you don't have to try and synthesize every nuance all at once you have your whole childhood and really your whole life to sort it out you know if, if somebody if if somebody handed us a book for the first time as adults and we're like, here, read. This is this is Shakespeare. We would lose our minds yes. if we had never read a book before. We'd be like, what? What is happening right now? That's why we teach kids to read when they're little, so they can gradually, you know, start to under. You know, we start with the little words, and then when they get older, we give them big words, and then we explain grammar to them, and then we explain all the weird exceptions to the grammar that exist in English. And by the time we're adults, we're like, hey, I can speak and read this very complicated, frankly, illogical language with no problem. You know, what's hitting me so hard is is it's it's so evident in this conversation, something that I say pretty regularly, but I think that people don't really like get in their bones. They're just kind of like, yeah, yeah, which is all of these things are skills. You know, it's like being able to um, talk about pleasure, being able to understand the nuance of consent, being able to um, dive into someone's experience of the world and talk to them about it using their language. Like these are all skills that we learn and develop and practice and mess up. And as adults to, to, to be able to make mistakes without really feeling ashamed of that is a really tough thing. And I think that's why it's such a beautiful thing that we have these curriculums like this one, the health and physical education curriculum for Ontario and like the OWL program for UU where these skills are something that are just trained and practiced and, and rehearsed collectively in classrooms and with community groups over so many years that you don't even realize you're developing the skill. It's just kind of something you do like reading. But for those of us who didn't have exposure to those kinds of programs, it feels really different. You know, it like really does. Yeah. how do I, how do I ask for what I want? What are the names of those body parts? I don't know. What if I feel like my gender is different than what everyone's been telling me? I mean, those feel like huge, scary questions. But that's also because so many of us didn't have a place to practice and rehearse. That's exactly what it is. And in many ways, that's the beauty of of childhood and of, you know, childhood learning. It's this time in your life where, you know, yeah, yeah you're going to make a lot of mistakes. But generally speaking, we're also very forgiving because you're a child. Yeah. It's okay. You're, you're just learning. Um, that's, that's what, I mean, I, I personally believe that that's what our entire lives are for. Um, but I believe that childhood and adolescence is a really special time of learning. 
Yeah. So um, I'd love to hear a little bit more about uh, how gender identity is handled by this curriculum. So this is another very controversial aspect of the curriculum, which is probably why I keep coming back to gender identity. So the way it was publicized, um, it was publicized as there were going to be discussions of gender identity theory in grade three. Nobody's discussing any the theory of anything with third graders ever. Um, their minds are not capable of really processing abstract concepts. They're yeah. still very concrete at that age. Um, what what we have in the curriculum is there is a discussion of visible and invisible differences. And an example given in the curriculum of an invisible difference is gender identity. That's it. Hmm. Um, um, so many people uh, find this terrifying and objectionable. Oh, and, and their perception is that there is going to be this in-depth conversation in class where teachers are telling students that they can choose whatever identity they want and kids are going to be very confused and running out and demanding surgery and hormones, which is not even possible in this province, um, even if they were demanding that. And so, A, that's not what's happening. Uh, again, we are having a broad strokes discussion about the fact that people are different. People yeah. look different. People have different, you know, ethnicities, different religions, again, different body types. Um, and then there are individuals, invisible differences. And when I have seen this taught in schools, when something like gender identity often comes up, it often comes up if it is relevant to the, to the students in that specific class. Mm. So, you know, there may be somebody in the class, um, you know, there may be a child who's gender expansive in the class or gender nonconforming. Um, there may be somebody in the class or somebody in the school who has, you know, a parent or a close relative um, who is, you know, trans or genderqueer or whatnot. So again, it's just letting the kids know, hey, there are all kinds of different people. Treat them respectfully because they exist. Like, literally, it is just, you know, trans people exist. Gay people exist. Know this. <laughs> Darn it. We need to campaign a little harder to get people in the club. Absolutely. And... <laughs> Um, you know, I'm cisgender, but I'm also, um, I'm also a black woman and this really sort of gets me where I live because when I was a child, I remember, you know, having textbooks and storybooks and watching TV and re like seeing magazine covers and almost never seeing myself represented, you know, yeah. not seeing people who looked like me. And it was never this, you know, overt, hostile, you're a terrible person and we hate you. But I think what a lot of people don't appreciate is that there's a real pain in just being ignored yeah. and in having your experience ignored. And you still get this message that there is something wrong with me. There is a reason that people don't want to see me. And other people get the message that you're not as valuable and you don't matter. And then we have, you know, and then that carries over. And then, you know, it escalates into situations that parents will express concern over, like 
transphobic bullying in high school. It's like, well, it's very difficult to tell someone who's a teenager, look, you need to treat all of these people respectfully and kindly when, you know, five years previous, the message was, we can't even talk about these people. Like this is, we can't talk about them because it's dangerous for you and it might like harm you in some way. And, and then, you know, to take it to its extreme, you have tragedies like what happened at the Pulse nightclub. Um, you know, that was devastating. And I kept hearing people saying like, you know, how can anyone do this? And this is horrible. And like that, I, that attitude doesn't come out of nowhere. Right. You know, it's not that somebody wakes up one day and just is like, oh, I just decided that it's okay to kill gay people. You know, these mess, you know, we have to do a way better job of, of teaching people that, you know, everyone is a human being, you know, who's worthy of being seen Mm -hmm. and validated and valued. And you can't do that when you're trying to make entire segments of the population invisible to children. Yes. Yeah. Because they notice. Because they notice. Yeah. You know, they absolutely do. Um, you know, the, the kids who are identifying that way or have family members who identify that way, they notice. And the kids who don't get the message that it doesn't matter. Right. And it does. Right. So uh, now that you have passed your goal and for people listening, you can still throw money at Nadine because there's all kinds of other things that she's thinking about doing. But um, now that you've passed your goal and you have kind of like a chunk of time what are you thinking is going to be kind of when you start delivering these videos and make this curriculum available online? So I'm the kind of person where if I don't have hard deadlines, then I don't get anything accomplished in life. So my goal is to release the first set of videos um, the second week after school goes back here in Ontario. So that will be um, the second, I believe that's the second week of September. And I haven't a hundred percent finalize my release schedule, but I think what I'm going to do is each week is going to be a different topic. And then I will probably release a video on Monday, one on Wednesday, one on Friday, probably. And so I'll be tackling the same topic, but for the different grade levels. So we can see, we can see the progression of this is how you discuss consent with, you know, very young children. This is how you can discuss consent with, you know, older kids and tweens. This is how you have the discussion, you know, with teenagers and young adults. Is there a part of the curriculum that you're most excited to get to roll around in? Oh, there's so many things. (laughs) Um, I, I just, I, I, I love sex ed so much. I love all the parts of it. Um, I, I am actually really excited to dive into the visible and invisible differences part. Mm. Um, there's another, there are some more units on gender that start um, in sixth grade and then go up. Um, again, I'm just excited to tackle it because I'm really hoping that I can present it in a way that people see that, hey, it's not scary and overwhelming. It can really be um um, simplified and accessible for folks. And I'm hoping that, you know, I can connect with some great, you know, trans and non-binary educators in the city so they can, you know, share their experience, which is much greater than mine. Um, I'm, I'm excited. I, I'm excited to dive into even some of the, you know, kind of more standard biological stuff like, 
you know, sexually transmitted infections, because I think the fun challenge there is always to find a way of presenting it where it's not just dry and didactic. Yes. Here's a list of, here's a list of illnesses and here's a list of symptoms. Um, you know, that's been some of my favorite learning as an, as an adult is being like, 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 you know, I wasn't, I was an adult when I learned that I was like, oh my gosh, there are all of these, you know, treatment options available for HIV. I had no idea. It's like, this is fascinating. Um, you know, I, I find the statistics really interesting, you know, just how prevalent or not prevalent certain illnesses are. And, you know, it's like, there are so many that you can cure and there are so many that, you know, you can live with and have, you know, like a really happy, healthy life, even though you have this, you know, chronic, chronic illness that you have to deal with. Um, and I, and I love trying to destigmatize STIs. Um, you know, I, one of, one of the best analogies I heard, it was a student that I worked with said, you know, it's funny because if you say had a lot of friends and you just had a lot of contact with your friends and got the flu, everyone would feel sorry for you and just be like, oh, well, you know, that's what happens. But, you know, if you have a lot of sex and you get chlamydia, people want to be like, oh, you're terrible. Yeah. And you deserve this. It's like, that's amazing. That is amazing. And and I also think it's just so important too of like, yes, we have to destigmatize STIs in oh my God, like all the ways, all the places. Yeah. And I also think that one of the really incredible things around destigmatizing STIs also teaches that lesson kind of inherently that you can have a beautiful, thriving, connected, pleasure-filled life, whether you have an STI or not, and whether you have any other kind of illness or disability or not. Yes. You know, I mean, like there's treatments, there's options, there's knowledge, there's there's ways to get all the wonderful things that you could possibly dream for yourself, whether you have HIV or you have mono or you have, you know, I don't fibromyalgia or arthritis or whatever it might be. Um, I think it just fits into that kind of pushing back against the ableism puzzle as well. Yes. Yes. That, you know, pleasure is not just something that you get to access when you are perfectly healthy and conventionally beautiful um, I'm like, I don't even know what being perfectly healthy, what would be like, I've literally <laughs> never met a human being in my life. It's like, I've never been sick or had issues with my body. That's just what bodies do. Um, the consent consent is, you know, one of the topics I'm most passionate about, mm. um, particularly because over the past few years, I've really transitioned into trying to teach consent from, um, from uh, from the perspective of again of pleasure and joy that you know when you come into a relationship when you are interacting with someone um you know be it sexually be it you know in under the auspices of of love or affection or attraction what you are trying to communicate to someone else is i like you or you are making me feel good therefore like return the favor, you know, even when you're talking about very little kids and, you know, not wanting to hug, you know, a relative or something, you know, what I will say to adults is I'm like, if you are trying to hug a child, you're 
the whole purpose of that interaction is that you are trying to make that child feel loved and good. So if they don't feel loved and good, you know, right. find a different, like, yeah, then, <laughs> then it is incumbent upon you as the adult <laughs> and the person with the power in the situation to try and find a different way of conveying that love to them. Because love that makes you feel like there's a person with their like their body all over me and their face right up and that's not the kid is not going to get that right from you um and it's the same thing you know in sex like yep you know everyone should be feeling good if everyone is not feeling good then something's got to change one of the things that I think is so important about what you just said too is, and we've talked about this previously on the podcast, but I just want to like bring it up again, because I think one of the things that's standing out is if you're an adult who wants to hug a child, and part of that reason is because you want the child to feel loved. And then in that moment, they're like, I don't want to hug you. One of the most beautiful parts of that interaction is the child getting to see you fumble and figure out what to do instead and then offering the alternative and then moving ahead with that. And I think that adults forget that often that like sometimes the most powerful things for kids to see is to see adults make mistakes or not yes. know. And then in that moment to just kind of like, Oh, they don't want to hug. Okay. Maybe we can do like a little pinky swear, or maybe we can do a high five, or maybe I'll just like make a funny face at you and doing that kind of like investigative curiosity. How do I still engage in a way that feels good? I think helps kids to see like, I don't have to have it all figured out. I can like learn as I go because the adults in my life do that and they're happy and good. And they're happy. Yeah. Right. And exactly. I think it's also valuable for kids to see, Hey, you know what? I, I, you know, I pulled away from this. This didn't feel good for me. The adult felt awkward. The adult got over it and the adult still loves me. Yes. And still is still here for me and still cares about me. They're not, they're not holding this against me. Mm -hmm. yeah. um, I think that's so important. I think that's especially important for those of us who are socialized with girls because as girls, because we often get these messages that don't ever make somebody feel bad. Right. You know? <laughs> and I think, yeah. So I think it is important for kids to see that, you know what, it's okay if people feel bad for a second, like they'll be fine. Mm -hmm. And, it's not your responsibility to make everything okay for them. Like they're not going to take off and abandon you because yeah. you know, you just had a slightly awkward interaction for two seconds. Yes. Oh God. I love that so much. So because we're talking about curriculum, I got this fascinating question from someone who's trying to kind of DIY a curriculum for, for their brother. And I'm wondering if you'd want to help me answer the question. I 100% do. <laughs> okay. So uh, the question is a little bit on the longer side. I'll read it and then we'll geek out and see what your thoughts are. Okay. Okay. So Kip wrote in and it says, how can I help my brother? Dawn, I'm so excited to finally be writing into you. I cannot put into words how significant an impact your podcast has made on my identity and my perspective. Thank you so much for your education, tireless work, and palpable love for all. I'm a 20-year-old, gender non-conforming, mega-queer woman, and she, her pronouns are A-OK -okay with me. 
I have a 15 year old brother. We'll call him T who has always been a bit developmentally behind. His personality is like that of an 11 or a 12 year old. He's going into his sophomore year of high school and he has never taken a sex ed class, nor will he for the remainder of his high school career. To put his knowledge of sexuality in perspective, he had never heard of oral sex until three months ago, and he still has no idea what masturbation is. Our parents are not good with sex talks and are very sex negative, and T is not the kind of kid to go perusing the internet for answers. I don't think he even would know where to search. After negotiating with my parents, they agreed that if I wrote up a lesson plan and had it approved by them, I could give T a sex ed lesson. I work hard to immerse myself in sex positive culture, and I feel confident in my ability to give him a pretty solid, well-rounded sex talk. The only problem is that our parents are going to censor the shit out of me. Uh They support abstinence-based, cis-het-centric sex ed and want discouragement over practicality. But I want to inform my brother about things like being safe, masturbation, how to build a sexual relationship with yourself, how to listen to your partner and be open-minded, how to avoid toxic masculinity in sexual situations, and how all of these things can be put into a queer context in case that's part of his identity if he ever starts to question. So how can I word or present quote unquote, inappropriate subjects like these in a way that my parents will approve of, but also will be comprehensive, relatable, and real for my brother. I was lucky enough to find ways to educate myself in adolescence, but I know T isn't going to walk that path. I Mm. love my brother endlessly, and I'm terrified of him going into the adult world with absolutely no sexual literacy. I'm truly at a loss and want to get this right. Much love, Kip. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Uh, the f- very first thing I want to say off the bat, um, Kip, you are an amazing sibling. Yes. Like, just wow. Uh, I don't have siblings, but if I had had a sibling, an older sibling, I wish I had had a sibling like you. Like, <laughs> so good. For sure. This is amazing. <laughs> so uh, I am also the parent of a child who um, maturity wise is, is a bit younger than his chronological age. He's also chronologically younger um, than Kip's brother. But uh, that having been said, I sort of can relate a little bit to this, to this idea of sort of knowing that, okay, you know, his natural curiosity hasn't, led him to seek out certain information and yet at the same time understanding that because he is the chronological age he is that certain that certain situations and certain topics are going to become relevant anyway and then trying to get that information to them um so yeah and and I would say like I really I respect Kip that you I think it sounds like you want to respect that your parents are your parents and are T's parents um, and that, you know, they are the ones who are raising him for now. But the other thing that I would say is that you are also an adult in your brother's life who, and you are invested in his, his well-being and the things that you want to teach him are really going to serve his well-being as he, you know, grows up and as he moves to the world. So, 
Yeah, I I think that your plan for his sex education <laughs> will be far more useful yes. than your parents' plan. And I, I do not want to disrespect your parents. I do not know these people at all. Um, but yes, a a sex educa- sex education that is based strictly in deterrence and everything that you should not do. Um, are not effective. And that is not just my opinion. There are, there is vast research to indicate that abstinence only sex education is not effective, that youth who receive this type of sex education um, do not have sex any later than kids who receive comprehensive sex education. Um, But what does happen is they're less likely to do things like practice safer sex. Um, You know, their health outcomes tend to be poorer. They have a much poorer understanding of things like consent. Um, Yeah, and it can be a real struggle for kids who, and yeah, this sort of cis-centric, heterocentric um, bent on sex education, it really doesn't serve kids who are, you know, queer. So, yep. So, yeah. Um, do your thing. So now we have to figure out how to get this past your parents. Yeah. Yeah. Um, something that I find is effective if you, because it sounds like you can't present this, you know, outline to your parents and say, you know, I want to talk about gender identity. I want to talk about sexual orientation. Um, I want to talk about pleasure. I want to talk about consent. What you can do, um, is you can, A, sort of, if you're giving them, and I'm not sure what this is going to look like, but if, for example, you're giving them, you know, sort of a list of topics, you can frame some of these uh, euphemistically. Yes. For example, (laughs) you can talk about pleasure as healthy relationships, something like that. Um, You know, we can uh, talk about, gender and sexual identity under the auspices of something like understanding yourself. Yes! Um, <laughs> um, healthy you know, bodies. <laughs> yeah, healthy bodies. Um, you can talk about, you know, even with relationships, you can talk about, um, or sorry, sexual practices, you know, you can talk about, you can you do that under healthy relationships. Oh, you can say like respecting your body. That's a really big one. Yeah. That people take that to, you know, people tend to be like, oh, respecting your body is all about abstinence and whatnot, which it can be if you are so inclined. Um, I just don't think that, that is the only way to respect your body. And, you know, you can even say things like this lesson will include discussions of abstinence because mm-hmm. I, I personally happen to think that, yeah, abstinence can be and should be part of a comprehensive sex ed lesson. It just shouldn't be the only thing by a long shot. Um, And then the other thing you can do is you can build into your curriculum some open-ended questions. And when you're talking to your brother, let him know that in answering, you know, as he's answering the questions, then you can ask some more open-ended questions to sort of try to steer the conversation towards the, the topics you want to talk to him about. And so, you know, it's not strictly outlined, you know, in the original curriculum that you're designing. Um, so you can ask a question, you know, in your curriculum, like, what are, what are, what, what do different relationships look like? 
you know, and that might, and, you know, if you want to put examples again in the written curriculum that your parents see, you can, you know, have examples like IE marriage, IE dating. But when you're actually talking and it's just the two of you be like, yeah, IE marriage, IE dating, IE some people who are married are the same gender. Um, IE some people date multiple people at the same time and everybody knows about it and it's great. Um, IE some people have relationships that are not strictly defined in hetero or cis normative terms. Here are some other relationships and, and you know, you can do the same thing with like healthy bodies. Yeah. What constant, you know, an open-ended question. What, what does it like? Yeah. What is a healthy body? And then, you know, have some more questions about, you know, do all bodies need to be healthy? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, talking about you, you can slip some, you know, information in there about how, you know, a, a healthy body for someone might be, you know, a body, a person who is, you know, ta- who is undergoing hormonal therapy because that makes them feel mentally healthy. Yeah. And that is part of health too. So yeah, you can be a little stealth that way. Yeah. I totally agree. I was just like, my notes say Trojan horse it. Absolutely. Yeah. And, and I think too, like they, they might only sign off on this once, but this doesn't have to be the only time you ever talk to T about this. So I also don't think that Kip needs to try and fit all the things into this one conversation, like fit the basics, fit the most important pieces in and just let T know in that lesson that there's like so much more to learn and there's so many other interesting conversations and stories that you can share. And so, you know, after T has a chance to like sit with all of this, maybe we can talk again, or maybe next year we can do another lesson focusing on the the bits that are the most important for a 15 year old who is maybe the maturity of 11 or 12 year old, like get all the stuff in that would be appropriate for an 11, 12, 13, 14 year old. And then just, you know, no, you can build on this. It doesn't have to be the only time. Um, Absolutely. And, and a couple of the great things that, you know, the two of you have going for you in your sibling relationship is that um, number one, just by virtue of the fact that you are putting so much time and thought into doing this for him is going to signal to him very clearly that you are a safe person in his life that he can come to Yeah. when he has questions. Um, you know, a lot of people, you know, myself included, we worry a lot about saying the right thing and make sh- making sure we have all of the right content when really just the fact that we are willing to have these conversations is the lesson for our kids. That is us telling them that, this is worth talking about, um, that I think this is worth talking about, that you think this is worth talking about, and that I'm here to, I'm, I am open to having these conversations. Yes. Um, the other great thing for Kip is that you are a great queer role model. <laughs> yeah. Your, um, you know, like I said, you sound awesome and it sounds like you have a great relationship with one another. So I would also say don't estimate the power of just being able to being able to see you and witness you living in your body and living your life and being like a wonderful, caring human being. Yeah. Yeah. And one of the other thoughts that I had too is, you know, one of my favorite things to use around teaching is pop culture. 
Mm-hmm. And I think that could also be a fantastic way for you, Kip, to be able to like show your folks, oh, hey, we're going to talk about um, like safety and bodies and anatomy and respecting your partners. But then the way that you do that is showing a rich variety of clips from movies, television shows, music videos, and allowing T to ask age-appropriate questions about that and then being able to have dialogue where it's about this third party and not necessarily about the two of you could also just be a really fun way to kind of like ground those lessons in something where T can actually like see it unfold and then process with you. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh my God. I am so excited for like whatever kip you're cooking up for tea because I can tell you it's more than a lot of us got and I love that you're so passionate about this and I hope whatever lesson plan you get in front of your folks that they sign off on it and then that you do something super fantastically subversive when you actually have the conversation. (laughs) I really really hope that kip writes back and so we find out how this all turned out. Me too. Yeah. So Kip, thank you so much for writing in. This was actually one of the most like surprising questions I've gotten in a long time because I have ah. not had anything like this come in before. Um, and I wish you the very best in the first of hopefully many conversations with T about sex positive experiences of body and self and pleasure and all that good stuff. So thank you for doing what you're doing. And Nadine, thank you for helping me to field the question. Oh, thank you. It's always a pleasure to hear about other amazing sex educators out there in the world. Yeah, seriously. So for people who want to either check out your campaign or even throw you some money so that we can get even more great content out there, how can they find your campaign? So they can go to www.gofundme.com backslash save HPE, which stands for health and phys ed. Awesome. Yes. Okay, great. And uh, today, for those of you who are listening to this when it drops, so this episode is going to drop on June 24th, 2018. Nadine's campaign is still open on June 24th. And Nadine, you're planning on keeping it open for at least another week, right? Yes. So now that I've exceeded the goal, um, I'm considering a stretch goal. So uh, I was telling you before the show, um, a friend of mine was mentioning that, you know, although this will be on YouTube, uh, up in Northern Ontario, uh, they don't have great internet access and it might be hard for them to watch the video. So um, I'm considering, um, you know, I'm considering making a stretch goal so that I can, you know, put the videos in some sort of hard copy format um, and, you know, actually send it up to some communities up north. So I just have to do a little bit more research and find out, you know, what that might cost and what's entailed. And if that's something that I can do, then I, that's, I think I'm going to make that a stretch goal. Awesome. So yeah. to everybody listening, whether you're in Ontario or not, supporting Nadine means that this awesome curriculum is going to go up on YouTube and be accessible to parents and caretakers and teens everywhere. So throw your money at Nadine and also just follow Nadine so that you can stay in touch. How can people follow you on social media so that they can see the developments as they come out? Um, so probably the easiest way is to just Google Nadine Thornhill because <laughs> all my stuff comes up, but I am Nadine Thornhill on Twitter. Um, I am Nadine Thornhill on YouTube and I am Nadine 
middle initial K Thornhill on Instagram. Awesome. Okay. Yeah. Well, I will have links to all of those things and the campaign in the show notes for this episode. Nadine, I just want to first thank you for being such a freaking badass that you oh. saw Doug Ford say, I'm going to do this thing. And you were like, fuck that. I'm finding a way around this. And now you're going to make all these awesome videos. So go you for being amazing. Oh, thank you. Well, I thank you for, you know, helping me get the word out there. And I just want to say, Thank you so much to everybody who's donated, everyone who shared the campaign, like just people who have sent really kind words of encouragement. Um, I, just, I, I will never be able to find the words to express how much I appreciate this. Well, to everybody listening, thank you so much for tuning in. Check out the show notes, follow Nadine, support the campaign. And of course, you can check out your weekly Patreon bonus if you support the show over at patreon.com slash sex gets real. I will see you there. And of course, I'll be back next week. So I'm Dawn Sarah with Nadine Thornhill, and we will talk to you later. Bye. <laughs>